Would you only want to be able to obtain anything, goods, services, whatever, from someone who wanted to have a podcast made about them? Because that's, I'm assuming that your uh, contribution to the economy is making podcasts. That's it. That's all you're capable of. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted. Today we are getting better acquainted with Chris. Hello, Chris. Hello, Dave. And audience. We're walking around the, the mean streets. Well, we they don't know very many. There's a bus stop we can sit there. <laughs> they don't know very. Uh, mean today but the the streets of Brixton uh, in the nice sunshine on on the most important day ever uh, in the history of humanity in the history of humanity that's right we were just told it's uh, Easter Sunday isn't 23rd it 23rd of April yeah no that's yesterday St George's Day <laughs> oh yeah that's that's right so that's that's a bit of context of when did you first meet me I met you on December the 31st 2005 Come on, it's easy to remember the exact date when it's easy. Well, yeah, yeah, that was easy. So don't chat that. In <laughs> the flat that I then lived in, which is the flat that I now live in, there was an intervening several years where I didn't live there. When I'd invited Alex for New Year's. Our mutual friend. Our mutual friend. And he said, yeah, I'll come, but you're a little bit boring, so I'm going to bring lots of my other friends. <laughs> and... Um, and he did, and one of them was you. Yeah, I sort of hijacked it a bit as well and went, oh, I'll invite some of my extra friends as well. Indeed. Yeah, Dave, Dave was invited by Alex, and then several other people were invited by Dave. Which is weird. I've never, ever done that before. I'm always the person who gets annoyed when friends say, oh, can I invite my loads of friends over to your house? And uh, well, it seems one time in my history I actually did the same thing, so I should never feel annoyed again. the one who has now 18,000 miles away and no longer has contact with anyone I am still acquainted with all of those people so I'm quite happy about it yeah no that was don't you worry it was quite a nice successful surprising moment New Year's present five new friends yeah it was good what do you do now oh that's awful Dave well it's like it's supposed to be a little bit like the kind of questions that you ask at a party isn't it okay but I don't want to say the obvious so it's what do you do now interpret that how you like if you see what I mean uh, I'm a PhD student and want to be do more than that, but slightly fail to get off my ass. I'm a little bit lost. We, yeah, in fact, literally what we're doing now is walking down some streets. When I was growing up, I walked a lot with our mutual friend Alex around the streets of Cardiff. And that was a good way of getting to know someone. And I did that later on in Lancaster with our other mutual friend. But this time through me, Clive, who's also been on the podcast. Hey, Clive. When we initially talked about this, you said you, you were interested potentially in having a conversation about conversation. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts about that? I sometimes look when I'm in bookshops for a book called On Conversation. So I feel like one should have been written probably in the 19th century. Probably not brilliantly. A bit overblown style wise. But what is it that makes up? conversation and how do, what are the purposes of it and how do people uh, how do people do it so I've always found it a bit of a mystery well you're talking now yep. so what is it about conversation um, that you find baffling how do people decide what to talk about 
or find things to talk about. Decide, suggest, it's very conscious. Anyway, I have thought since I was about 17 or 18, it'd be nice to do a survey of everyone's conversations. Well, Secretly, yeah. of course, like God, or with some of these, but much smaller and hidden in something. Just hidden so. mics. Yeah. Um, this one's a bit conspicuous. It looks like an ice cream. I want to lick it. It does look a little bit like an ice cream. I've got it on its, uh, on its holding stand. Stop licking it. That sounds weird. Do you find it hard to talk then, Chris? Do you find yes. it hard? The initiating conversations, I find the most difficult thing socially. You know, see, that's interesting. I mean, part of the reason I'm doing this project is because I also find You're it quite... you very good at initiating conversations. See, that's what people say. But you are. Well, no, it's a... And this, this, okay, so on conversation. Okay, well, it's a funny thing. Go on. I am... I'm not very good at starting polite conversation, small talk. That's fine if you're like you or many of my lasting friends because they, they don't want to have small talk or they're happy not to if they... We've had it all already. We had it on December the 31st, 2005. Would, but do you think that... Do you want some soup? Yes, please. Yeah, but... That was how it was. Yeah. And then I we were into like deep things. Exactly, but that's that's what I'm like. Profoundly deep things. But I mean, I'll be talking to someone about really personal issues or really controversial <laughs> theories, you know, after one minute of knowing them, and a lot of people find that difficult. It can be it can be a bit problematic in a work context if I'm not careful. And you uh, hate your colleagues and your employer. <laughs> <laughs> I do not hate my colleagues or my employer. It's all right. You're going to edit that in. Yeah, I, I might do. Um, you don't hate your colleagues. Colleagues, you have yes. to sometimes be guarded about what you say to colleagues because they have different lives from you and different interests and you don't really want to get into a big argument at work. It's great. It's like there is this whole shutdown of anything that's potentially a little bit controversial or that flags up these far too blunt distinctions between people. Like, did you or didn't you vote for a party that is now in government, for example? Well, yeah, they say There's don't talk about religion and politics, religion don't and they? Politics. But they're the things I mostly talk about when I meet people. This is the problem. What did you tick in the census for the religion box? Um, you'd have to ask Jen. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a present for Jen, um, but it's not here, nor is she, so sorry. Oh, she sends her love, by the way. Okay, very good. I said I wouldn't say it on the show, but I, I just have. So um, you find talking difficult, though? No, no, no. no. Ah. Um, talking is all right, but... It's up to someone else or kind of the forces of external input somehow to decide what's being talked about. I think I'm fundamentally uninterested in it. You're, you're and therefore need to be stimulated and then, then, I'll go, then I'll fake it for a few minutes. So you think that you're fundamentally uninterested in anything? No, that's obviously putting it far too strong. It might be as strong as you feel it. It might be that I'm exaggerating because, again, come back to these blunt differences between people. Why can't you talk to your colleagues about politics? Because once you discover something that you actually truly disagree with someone, then you, you either agree to disagree or you're okay because you can shout at them and they can shout at you and you're both there in your hardcore little opinion. And, uh, and there's not and no, no one feels particularly bad. But you don't necessarily get to the point where you establish whether there's a fundamental disagreement, whether there's um, whether it's something you'll agree to disagree on, or whether it's something that you'll have a kind of we both stand by our principles or our beliefs or our prejudices, and we can just battle it out. 
Because in between the very basic crude indicator of possible difference, there is there are a whole load of refining steps that involve narrowing down each other's position to see where it actually is. So, okay, you voted for some scum in the largest minority party in the current parliament in the last election. That obviously gives me a headline indicator of a difference, but there might be ways in which we can narrow that down, see where this doesn't mean that you're an ogre, it doesn't mean that I'm a unicorn, and we can uh, possibly find ourselves much closer than we were, understand each other better, possibly understand one another's positions for having differed. Basically, you don't get to all of that stuff reliably in a context like work, because you suddenly have to go and photocopy something, or uh, the meeting's over, or lunch is over and you have to go to the meeting, or whatever. I find one of the, the dangers of conversation, personally, is that I can get so interested in the process of arguing or the ideas of arguing that I can say one thing one time and listen back to it later and completely disagree with it. I mean I think most people have a bit of that but I I find that I have a lot of that. Like yeah. if I if I sit down and write something I can work out exactly what I think. But if I'm just talking I'll just I'll change my mind quite a lot. Which does annoy people as well in arguments when I say, Yeah okay, yeah you're right because they don't yeah. like that either. Yeah. Maybe one of the reasons that people don't talk about politics or religion is because you might find yourself saying something very extreme and then later kind of regret it and have it sort of... That person will always think of you in that way after that I conversation. Don't, I don't really mind that, that potential occurrence because while I certainly will say somewhat contradictory things in different conversations, depending on the conversation, apparently contradictory things, you can put across a position without believing in it. But... Uh, yeah. And not, not for pure sophistry, but to try and get a better idea of the arguments against it or just to see what the other person thinks. Um, and then people might take away the impression that you said something that implied something in their mind and, uh, and that's, their, that's their picture of you and people don't recognise what they infer and what could possibly be inferred from something are two different things. To be honest, if people are going to be very, very attached to sort of partial pictures of me, fine, go for it, I don't mind. Most of my partial pictures are more or less acceptable to me. Um, you know, some people want to see me as someone who damn well votes despite the rottenness of our system, then they're welcome to it. Or thinks that voting should be abolished because of the rottenness of our system. There's a, there's a middle ground between those, or some kind of synthesis anyway, that is the truth, but I don't mind people thinking one or the other. Do you enjoy the stimulus of other people's ideas and stuff that makes you have conversations? Yes, very much so. Do you not recognise that sometimes you can stimulate other people's ideas? Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah. I like when, you know, there's this the beginning of the conversation, that's hard and horrible. That's mostly my uh, issue with But then like a probability tree or possibly more like a Markov model they just kind of go and then there's some branches but it's a Markov model with a with a kind of a dash of un unpredictability which is obviously completely undermining the idea you, I know but um, you're going to have to there's Wikipedia you, we, what um, you, people, you're suggesting people look up what Markov model is on Wikipedia right, basically 
you're at a point, you make a decision, you have, you have a finite number of options, you make a decision, then you're presented with another finite number of options. You make a decision, then you're presented with a different finite number of options, and they increase and decrease in number. Like a choose-your-own-adventure novel? It's, yes, it is very much like roll the dice and slay the warlock, but mostly used for much more boring things like health decision analysis. So, is the start it's of... important, but not interesting. <laughs> Actually, I'm not sure it is important. Well, if you tell it in an interesting way, then it becomes interesting, doesn't it? I mean, isn't mm. that the case with all things that seem disinteresting initially? Well, did I say interesting or did I say important? You said it is I said it's important. important, but not necessarily interesting. Yes, and I'm questioning not whether or not it's interesting, it's not particularly, but okay, I agree that it could be, and in context, you might be having a conversation with someone about how conversations go, and then... <laughs> you might identify the, the idea that one thing that's said presents a whole load of potential ways of going. Well, you know, Continue with this, pick up on a grammatical error and discuss the way that that relates to the hard wiring of language in the infant brain, this kind of thing. And that might bring you on to Markov models and health decision analysis and that would be... Um, a perfectly valuable, valid yeah. way of, um, of getting to the might be interesting in that case. So you um, don't like the sort of start of conversations. I love the progression. But you love it when they get going. Yeah. Yeah. I can't be bothered to carry on trying to start them sometimes with people. Why can't you be bothered to start conversations with people? <laughs> to carry on trying to start them when... Um, oh, if they don't initially get... That sounds like a horse. Do you know of any female ice cream? Ice cream vans? What do you mean? Oh, you mean you always get Mr. Whippy? I think Mrs. Whippy might give a slightly different impression that you're going to get some some kind of different experience from that ice cream than uh, than children are normally after. Heteronormative bullshit. (laughs) Well, that's not heteronormative exactly. Or hetero. Not necessarily. I don't think bondage needs to be a hetero experience. But anyway, you find it hard work to keep bothering if it doesn't immediately gel. Oh, that's putting it a little bit. That makes me sound a little bit. I would, see, I wouldn't want someone to take that impression. Right. Um, it depends on who someone was, actually. Okay. For some people, it might be very fine to take that impression. But no, not really. It's a bloody mind. It's not really about them, though, is it? It's about you. Well, that's, um, Isn't it? It's easy to say. Yeah, it is easy What's, to say. What is about a person? If you are having a conversation with someone and something goes wrong, then I always assume that it, it is not necessarily a reflection on either person as such. It's just... It's the combination that it reflects on. Yeah, or even the moment. Yeah. So many agreed. conversations that you start with somebody and you sort of at a party and you think, oh, God, they're a twat, or, oh, my God, they're the best person I've ever met. In yeah. hindsight, you yeah. change your opinions completely. I mean, that's one of the one of the things I'm trying to get at in this show. Really, we've talked a bit about conversation. I think we can leave that now. That was me leaving it. Okay. That was me doing it then. You're like the most. <laughs> yeah, you're, well, you. You. Sh- yeah, you should just ignore me. No, I can't ignore you. I'm interviewing you, sort of. Well, con- conversing maybe if interviewers ignored the subjects more often, then then more of what their subjects said would kind of flow on in the background and uh, more revealing truths that could be written up in magazines.
hopefully be revealed but I'm not really trying to do an expose of you but let's 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 Especially give people a little bit more of an idea of you then and what sort of topics you could talk about in a conversation if somebody was to have one with you like I am now mm. you've traveled a lot Chris arguably you've traveled more than me yeah. you've traveled more than people maybe should <laughs> environmentally speaking yeah it's true sorry I was nodding then where have you been mostly Europe which is actually all quite nearby most recently I was in Tanzania which is where some of the data that I'm using for my PhD analysis is coming from. And also I was meeting lots of other people there who have other bits of data that I'll be using. And they are from Uganda, Zimbabwe, Malawi, Kenya. That's where I'll be going next. My PhD is about assigning causes of death to people who die in the community and how you can improve your cause of death data. So when you go to these places... I don't go to mortuaries. You don't? No. Having restarted after a year, they decided that primary data collection was probably not a good idea for my PhD. So I am analyzing, doing a pooled analysis of data from six or eight participating centers, uh, looking at various questions to do with the interpretation of verbal autopsies, um, mostly focusing on misclassification of deaths between maternal causes and HIV and factors that influence this. Why are you looking at that? There's a general reason of why is it being looked at, yeah. which is to do with it having importance for public health. If you understand cause-specific mortality, then you can do what well, it will in inform policies potentially. Possibly not. It should uh, inform health sector policies as to what's a priority. The method side is to do with making pooled analyses with data that are mostly standardised but that various factors are slightly different for in different places where the data has come from and the data differ slightly and how is this and how much is this an impediment to pooled analysis. Why am I doing it? Well because I was doing something that I had become very interested in and um, had designed all by myself, not quite, uh, but was sort of my, my, my PhD and then, uh, and then I, it came to raising money to do the field work and I didn't basically. So no one will give you any money for it. Um, essentially. And so I then stopped being a PhD student but I didn't fancy that. It's quite like I'm quite like research design. And um, so I went around going, who's got a topic for me? And uh, and this one was something quite similar to this was suggested, the, the general area. And we uh, we worked out what exactly how how it was more uh, how it was most like what I was interested in, namely uh, maternal reproductive health. So that's what I was going to be working on in a very different way in the previous one. Why do you think you were interested in maternal reproductive health? Um, I, I, I don't really have a good answer. It's sort of de it's developed over time, and you can sort of trace a little bit of a, a path from things I have uh, done and been interested in in the past to things that I to, to, to this. There's probably a gender aspect to it, in that pregnancy is obviously only experienceable by one sex and 
is quite a big deal and it's quite dangerous, particularly in some parts of the world. Do you think that maybe there's some kind of, I mean, you say that there's a gender thing there and that there's an inequality and a kind of inequality of biology that is... Yeah, I wouldn't say it's particularly to do with me being a man. I don't feel guilty. Um, this, so, in fact, we can call you it... You headed my question up well, nicely. Good. Oh, right, OK. Um, it's, it's more of an injustice than a, than a gender question. You could argue that actually the problem is... And you'd be sort of right to argue that actually the problem is poverty and exploitation and lack of economic opportunity for uh, lots and lots and lots of people. And that is what fundamentally causes people not to use health services and to have health crises and including in relation to their pregnancies. And you're sort of right in that as people are less in the incredibly poor end of the world of the human distribution they tend to have fewer of these crises but it's not the whole story and therefore you could argue that what you should be doing is abolishing exploitative economic relations but there's, there's several ways in which that's not sufficient answer. You were in Bratislava for a while. I lived in Bratislava for most of two years. And what did you think <laughs> of, Bratislava? <laughs> of Bratislava? I slightly uncharitably tend to say that Bratislava is an excellent place to live because it's located near to lots of other nice places. Bratislava itself is fine. I had, when I was there, I had quite a lot of friends there. I now don't. Everyone has left pretty much. There's a couple of people there nod to you and yeah I had a I had a pretty good life there I knew where stuff was I you were working had for enough the Slovak to uh, to get by in the the native population and you were working for the UN I was over working there. for the UN doing this and that yeah and did were you t was that where you were teaching I was teaching oh like every other English person who goes abroad English. Um, that wasn't in Bratislava, it was in Slovakia. Okay. Was, if, you, um, if you imagine a map of Slovakia, which you're now doing good. Yes, of um, course, because I have intimate you, knowledge of Eastern European countries. Central Europe. Central, um, Central Europe. If you go on the Bratislava to Zilina train line for about 200 kilometers, you get to Povaška Bistrica. And then if you get in a car from there for about 20 minutes, you get to this tiny little village. And then if you carry on a little bit further, I was teaching English in a school that was actually a holiday camp involving some very naughty children who were otherwise going to go to prison. And that was quite fun. I'm never going to do teaching again there. Why not? It was the kind of capriciousness of the, of the students. And that was teaching something I should be fairly confident in namely basics of the English language. It's not necessarily that you speak English, therefore you can teach English. And certainly my first lesson, which was trying to teach them, translate for them, the message. Well, by, by Grandmaster Grandma Flash. Flash. Um, uh, it was quite fun, because we got to listen to hip-hop for yeah. an hour and a half. But uh, it didn't really work as a teaching tool. I scaled it back in its ambitions. There's a lot of um, metaphors in that song, isn't there? There are quite a lot. I mean, let's not, let's not suggest that we got a long way through the song. Okay. <laughs> um, that was quite fun, though. I had to be supervised for that lesson. Not for CRB reasons or anything. Just no, because just because... They had no idea what I was. Did as, you need as a, a CRB check? No. No. 
I would play hide and seek with his children in the woods. No CRVG. <laughs> that's that's Don't tell per- but that's perfectly legal, isn't it? There or not? Of course. Yeah. 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 No, no. Sorry, this is not a. It's not legality. No, no. Absolutely, I wouldn't be straying into it any areas. Whether it should be uh, uh, legal or not. Well, you're welcome to stray into areas. Well, I, 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 no, you better not. I try to avoid it for myself. Associating with no criminals. I mean, do you have any stories that you think? Do you have any stories that sorry. if you're at a party? You're, you're the most um, self. I think you've been the most um, aware of the microphone out of all of the people who I've interviewed so far. Which, admittedly, haven't been in many. But um, you can leave that. Can, can I? Thanks. Um, you keep your hand. Should we walk? Yeah, 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 yeah. If you're feeling uh, antsy. No, I'm getting a bit warm. That's all. Either way. Sides of the bench in there. Antsy, warm. Warm both antsy. Of, <laughs> warm antsy. Yeah. Do you, if you were at a party and a party. you wanted to, well, you wouldn't want to, but if somebody asked you to tell them some interesting stories about your travels, Crikey. what would you say, Chris? I'd say there's a church in, it's a cathedral, in, uh, in southern Hungary. No, it's not exactly southern, somewhere in Hungary, uh, in a town called Yark. You go and you put you put a hundred forints in the slot, and the lights come on for four minutes, and then the priest comes out, rushes up to you in this amazing kind of pseudo-English um, and takes you around the place and ends with a, a long soliloquy on the ascension and the way that the ascension the impression I got is that it's, uh, it's, it's greatest importance is to as a word illustrate the differences between European peoples and he goes through the pronunciation of the word for, uh, for the ascension various different places. Ascension, French and stuff. <laughs> and he gets to English like ascension, and he does this little face like that, and you feel quite insulted, but also amused. <laughs> but you see, I don't, I don't think I have very many tellable stories from uh, from that time, or at least they don't come to mind. They don't come to mind. It's hard to, yeah, exactly. It's hard to unlock these things oh, sometimes. Yeah, a lot of people are good at it. Huh? A lot of people are very good at it. Yeah, I know. Some people are and some people aren't. And that's kind of one of the things I think people will observe about human human difference, hopefully, uh, from this series. But also, <laughs> I'm hoping that they'll also see some similarities. Although, it, it worries me that my... My friendship group, you don't look at your friendship group as intensely as if you decide that you're going to record them for a podcast series and then you suddenly realise that they're all middle class and white. Nearly all of them are middle class and white. I'm actually not white, (laughs) just for the benefit of the listener. (laughs) 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 They're not going to believe that when they hear your voice. It's going to be clear where where you come from. Well, Lewisham. Yeah, sound like (laughs) Lewisham. Well, not like everybody who comes from the ocean. Oh, it depends on the day, Dave. Well, that's true. That's that's true for everybody. I think one of the things that's interesting is everyone instinctively uses their poshest voice when they speak on the podcast. <laughs> one of the first things you said to me, Chris... Ever. Well, yeah, probably, right. uh, was Sorry, that you are a craftist, not an artist. Uh, correct. What does that mean? I think what I meant by that was that 
while I would like to make beautiful things with the purposes that they're made for by artists, I tend not to. Uh, I tend to uh, only find the energy to make slightly beautiful things that are also uh, practically integrated into my day-to-day life. Uh, there's also sort of a strong DIY aspect to it. The idea, and it may be a very false one, is that the more you can do with raw materials, the better. And of course that raises the question of where you get your raw materials from and all the rest of it. There's an aesthetic side to it. Uniqueness is more or less guaranteed if you made it yourself and then you made a second one that was different, which is kind of a pleasant aesthetic feeling and uh, a slight sense of less reliance on the whole consumption framework that is around you. So I might be um, making a DIY podcast, but I have to buy a microphone to do it. Zoom microphone, yeah, <laughs> and some Sennheiser. If Zoom, Zoom and Sennheiser want to sponsor the podcast, they're yeah. welcome to get in touch. Listeners can decide on the quality. <laughs> yeah. Um, craftist. Yeah, I. what have I made recently? I'm making some curtains at the moment. Well, um, I'd, I'd love to be able to do it, though. I mean, I, not to be able to do it, obviously, I could technically sew and uh, stuff like that. Yeah. But it's just not something I have a natural aptitude for when I've tried. Well, then, then fine. I mean, it's, I, I, it's not an, it's, it's not a craftist as in this craftism as in there's an ideology that I push in no. it, particularly. True enough. Well, um, I'm, I guess what I'm saying is I'm envious of, of the skill. But not particularly. You know. I'm not particularly ideological about it. Fixing things is good, throwing things away is bad. I mean, that's a side to it. Now you made that, you made a brilliant t-shirt for me that was kind of only existed in the moment that it was given to me because there was a wine glass which had real wine inside, like stained with real wine. wine and the wine, wine, yes. Yeah, and the wine wash, washes away relatively quickly. And then the glass is over. It's empty. It's quite sad. And the message of the t-shirt is lost, in fact. Okay, yes, t-shirts, curtains, bags. Uh, put together a bicycle recently. That's right, you cycle. I do. <coughs> and you make your, you made your bike? Well, no, I put together pieces that were pretty, fa- pretty manufactured. Yeah. Highly technical <coughs> factories. What, so it was, together. was it a process similar to putting, to, to gluing together boats from a kit or did you have more autonomous yeah lego the mechanical one that i never really used meccano i was thinking of lego technic oh technic yeah meccano is better because there's no technics in in a bike uh yeah it's like meccano basically but you have to trust your life but you have to trust your life to it god meccano with safety the reason we're having this because this is the earliest conversation i think i've had so far in the in the history of recording, I'm quite happy to have them at all times of the day. This was 9.30 at Brixton Station. The reason that you sort of said it early in the day is because it's nice sunny days and you want to go for cycling in the daytime when it's um, sunny. Yeah, I want the option. Turns out I'm going to be seeing my family and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I see. F- family get to be uh, more important than cycling. Well, more important than Dave's lying, I think. <laughs> I don't lie in anyway. I don't imagine you do. Um, You're a bit um, special. I don't know what's happened with that. I used to lie in a lot more. Well, you've realised that your days are running out and you <laughs> need to pack things. Yeah, no. Uh, there's only 40 or 50 years more of my life left. <laughs> You're not one of these 
people who cycles all the t- time who sort of um, proselytizes it, particularly. And you're not That's somebody. Very kind of you. You're not, but but it is a big part of your life, I guess now, because you do it all the time. It's how I get around mostly. Yeah. And uh, you said that I am not a proselytizing cyclist. That's um, right. I'm a very encouraging cyclist. Though. I do like to encourage people who are wavering about whether or not they should cycle in London because it's dangerous to see that it's not and or accept that it's really not as dangerous as they think it is they can either get some cycle training from the fantastic people at Cycle Training UK plug I'm happy to go out with them and cycle around with them a little bit you're happily no you're not you're not suggesting that for uh all the listeners are you Chris or are you, if anybody wants yeah if anyone's sort of a bit fit of the London roads they're welcome to uh, <laughs> call me and we'll go out and have a little ride together okay any cyclists out, out there in, that want uh, Chris's help wannabes. who live in London contact me a little bit unsure there's no reason to be well there's there seem to be reasons to be but they're not as big as you think you can do a lot yourself to keep yourself safe why cycle? Blah, blah, blah. Um, obviously because it's the best <laughs> way of getting around. Um, what makes it the best? It's fast. It's, uh, freedom is great. You have almost almost walker level abilities to change your mind um, and go a different way. But you have a lot more... You have a lot more... Potential to travel distance, I guess. walkers. Yeah. Yeah. I like the feeling of cycling. I'm transporting myself from one place to another with only entire reliance on this wonderful piece of machinery, um, which works as well as I maintain it, um, which is not very much, so it could work better, but etc. Uh, it's a good. It feels. It feels very, very pleasant. I like it. And um, and then there are all sorts of other reasons that are added bonuses, like. It's uh, it's less reliance on motor transport, which is good because motor transport is generally bad and not good for cities and unnecessary in places like London. It's cheap. If you're enjoying getting better acquainted with me and with my guests, maybe you'd like to help other people find out about the show. There's a few easy ways to do that. You can go on iTunes if you've got five minutes and leave a review saying what you think of it that helps it get higher rankings on itunes and stuff like that what the show really needs is word of mouth and in this internet age that means liking the show's page on facebook or retweeting it or sharing the link to all of your facebook friends or twitter followers doing whatever you need to do in whatever social networking site you use and if you don't use a social networking site well hey you can just tell your friends or email your friends and tell them about what's going on just past Brixton Farmers Market, where we kind of finished off the previous installation. That's right. And um, and it brought to mind another thought about how similar places are. A la, what's what's it like having been to lots of places, kind of thing. In markets here, in Lewisham Market, in Brixton Farmers Market, in whatever market, people are going to have a license from the council to operate, and all the rest of it. And uh, you think, all right, okay, yeah, good. Um, it's someone comes and takes away the rubbish afterwards. Local council makes a bit of money out of the fact that these people were wanting to sell their wares here. And I, th- I, I went to the vegetable market in, in Wanza quite a bit when I was there. And I sort of just made this assumption that because it was people 
with mats and vegetables on mats and there was quite a lot of like, vegetable rubbish around but it was probably not organised on that kind of principle it wasn't a formal market, it was just some space in which a market took place but then I was chatting to Tito, one of my taxi driver friends and he was saying, no, they're all, you know, it's basically exactly like what I imagine a market in London to be. They all have a, a license to be there, they pay a certain fee, there's municipal workers, except they're not municipal workers. They've jumped the gun on this and they are contracted in. There's no government, local government employees, they're all uh, private companies that do things like removal of waste. The only difference is they don't have tables, basically. Again, eroding uh, the, the sense of the exotic, or some bollocks. Well, and, and what you said, I think, was that one of the reasons that you don't have stories, potentially one of the reasons you don't have stories about your travels, is that you find that most places are quite similar that you've been. If you get over the fact that communications are difficult, when you don't share a language, what you're trying to express in that language, not in terms of the words particularly, but in terms of the, uh, the emotions and the transactions, basically the same stuff. It does make much of one's everyday experience actually quite similar and the differences seem a little bit trivial. That said, people in Tanzania speak to each other, as speak to speak to people in the street quite a lot. Um, as they also do in uh, in rural parts of England, people will greet each other and pass the time of day. Not only with people they know, but also with people they don't. If you're out rambling in uh, in the peaks, you will pass the time of day with people in a way that you wouldn't if you were out rambling in Walthamstow. So. Yeah, some of these differences can be found much closer to home and um, you know, endemic diseases and boring things like that become the, uh, the ways of distinguishing one place from another. Right. And giraffes. Giraffe, well yeah, giraffes. they get many giraffes here. It's not the giraffe noise, that's the lion noise. Do, do you think that, that is the lack of differences to do with culture being a globalised entity? I'm not, I don't think so, fundamentally. Um, I think it's because most sort of settled, um, by, by which I mean agriculture and industry-based, and of course now service-based, um, people stay in one place, kind of. Societies have basically the same needs. People, people need to uh, fit into a local economy somehow. In urban areas, they need to have a way of coping with the fact that there are a lot of strangers around. There are always going to be more strangers than there are going to be people you know as well acquainted as you may get with people. And, uh, and you have to have formulas for dealing with strangers, um, which may be particularly interesting for people who come from, from villages where actually you do know everyone, or it may not be particularly interesting for them. I don't know, I've never been from a village, and I never will have been from a village. I lived in a village when I was a kid. Everyone knew each other. Everyone played with everybody else's children. Yep. Which, uh, nice. <laughs> Until you somehow violate a code of that village and then things go different. I think, it, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? You have lucky villages and unlucky villages, I think. Sometimes yeah. sometimes everybody just gets on and other times it's, uh, it's problematic. 
to be different within a society that has certain outlooks yeah. I wouldn't like to be you know <laughs> the only uh, unfortunate the only gay in the village I would not want to be uh, uh, although I hate that bloody program or phrase sure. yeah that phrase I, isn't I, great I, 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 you like to think that when a group has a apparently baseless prejudice towards whatever they might have that prejudice towards you like to think that they're kind of responding to a threat to their existence and survival the potential fact that say the Bullingdon Club has no black members whether or not that's true it serves as an example of a case in which my vulnerability would not be the case of basis for once um, or whatever it might be so another area that we both have an interest in discussing okay. is the word and the concept of capitalism basically we were we were sitting in the sunshine having a cup of tea and a piece of cake made by my own fair hands with only small amounts of climbing wall grit under my nails and Dave in the sunshine with his cup of coffee decided he really wanted to have a cigarette sorry for anyone to whom this comes as a shock no they won't it won't be a shock for anybody who listens to this show good good and he thought I think I'm going to ask that guy if I can buy a cigarette off him for 50p the question of the price is immaterial, although it did lead to a very brief, interesting but limited conversation as well. The guy happily gave him a cigarette and refused payment. Dave came back and basically said, another triumph for uh, human kindness over capitalism. Wow. Um, I paraphrase, but... No, it was better. Yeah. When you said it, it was better than why, when I said it. That's what hindsight allows you yeah, to do. Definitely. I've been working that over in my subconscious. <laughs> and I objected because this was to say that any transaction which is actually a transaction rather than a donation or charitable act is a capitalist one. If it had been, can I swap you the cigarette for this other thing, would have essentially been the, the, same, uh, the same phenomenon taking place. The man says, no, I don't want your football card of Zola. I've got it. You can have the cigarette anyway, and um, that would have been the defeat of bartering through through kindness. My objection to Dave, sorry, to, <laughs> to my com- to my statement to yeah. his to the statement, uh, the, the, the defeat of capitalism through kindness was that this was not in any way going to be going to have been a capitalist transaction in the sense of it involved money, but there's a lot more than money to capitalism. And I don't like the idea that, uh, well, the, sorry, the church may get in the, in the way. No, it's Look, nice. Good. As long as it's not louder than me. No, it's good. Good. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's probably sensible to avoid pushing the idea too strongly that getting rid of capitalism means getting rid of things that are associated with it that are not inherently bad, arguably, I would argue, such as money. Um, money essentially being a way of dealing with complex societies, complex societies. Um, That's very interesting to me. And capitalism being a relation between different economic actors. See, that's an interesting thing to me because I I always think of money... Capitalism is a difficult word to say because if you use the word capitalism, everybody sort of scutters about and 
treats you like you're some kind of nutcase because yep. you're using a word that they associate the use of the use of with nutcases. Yep. And also the other problem is, of course, that capitalism is almost a dead word now as well because whilst it was created by Marx, it is now embraced by capitalists who call themselves venture capitalists and they're fine with it. So it's no longer even a criticism. And also, yeah, you, you could describe it as life because it's everywhere. Yeah. Except clearly it isn't. The thing is, when yeah. I think of capitalism, I always think of money being the essential problem. That that actual system for organising complicated societies mm. is the thing that causes the most problem. Like if we could go back to a barter system or we could find an alternative... Why not move to? Or move to, move forward to, yeah, good, good, good correction to a barter system or look at different ways you know would you only want to be able to obtain anything goods services whatever from someone who wanted to have a podcast made about them because that's I'm assuming that your uh, contribution to the economy is making podcasts that's it that's all you're capable of Dave I'm capable of a bit more but yeah uh, for the sake of simplicity because economic models always simplify we're going to model your contribution as making podcasts and uh, if any if there's someone who doesn't if no no butcher wants a podcast made out of them then you're going to be unable to get any bacon yeah but they might want a podcast made of you sold given to them it's not like it has to be them that have to be on the podcast I'd, I'd have no it would be very hard to uh, live, make a living by going up to people saying do you want me to make a podcast of you in the way that uh, caricaturists but do with pictures but you're, you're very quickly going to run into if, if, okay, if they have to either want a podcast of them or a podcast of someone else that you made etc you're going to run into a massive headache of having to work out what it is that you've got that this person wants and what it is that you've got that this other person wants because you can't just have bacon you need to have eggs and whatever it might be I mean you might be vegan in which case you need other things but those people might not want a podcast either (laughs) Holland and Barrett do you want want a podcast made of you Um, yeah okay and that's why I talk about complexity and money but the thing is isn't this need to put a value on everything a, a definable value a lie and a mistake in itself and isn't that where we all run into problems you know it, it is one of the mechanisms that causes massive unfairness yes like some people's work being valued so much less than others yes that's clearly one of the biggest problems with uh, with all economic relations basically some people's work is valued so much less than other people's work yeah. and that's because the people who make the decisions about value as much as we have this idea of free markets free markets inherently discriminate against people whose skills are more in abundance than other people and the fact that other people can do what you're doing in my mind make what you do less valuable i mean in if if you define value as something that's market determined then clearly it does make it less valuable but it shouldn't mean you if your skills are in abundance whereas other people's aren't the gulf in reward for you for using your skills between those two groups of people is, is massive in, in many cases yeah. and to, I, that's just fundamentally unfair a surgeon versus a manual labourer for example but I mean what I'm saying is that reducing everything to an economic structure is in, to my mind the problem if 
there are alternative ways you can look at it. What so do you, you mean by reducing everything to an employment structure? Well, by giving, a, giving everything a value, value rather than saying what do people need, what does this community need as a whole, how do we all get that equally as much as possible where equality is, where, where equality is achievable. Whereas what you were saying had some relation to the idea that money wasn't the problem, that something else was the problem. Well, I mean, I tend to think money is a tool, basically. No. Money is a tool. Money is a tool, and can be done with a great number of different things. Stay. The reason for the sound quality might, changing yeah. vastly is that we've come into Chris's house. Uh, where he's putting away his products from the farmer's market, which he bought with the money, which was a tool. And I have realised that we didn't pay for our coffee and tea. Really? Yeah. I thought. Well, we we'll have to give that to them when we pass them later we'll on. I'll pop in. Yeah. yeah. And there, but there you go. Absent-mindedness just made us treat someone unfairly. In a, a better system, that wouldn't really be a possible. That's another thing about money. It, it means that if you are good at dealing with money, then you are more efficient within society than if you aren't good at dealing with money. Well, if you're, okay, so are you, are you proposing that we have no medium of exchange? Not necessarily. I think... I think... When I think about models... Um, no, I'm okay for cake, thank Jen you. Jen might like some cake. Jen might like some cake. Okay. You can... Hang on, have you got your... Yeah, I'll take it back. You've got, okay. I think if you... When I think about ways that you can structure societies, I think obviously smaller is better. In, I'm sort of in favour of decentralised situations and people deciding for themselves in small groups how best to make their community function. Those groups may choose to use something like money to make sense of their decisions and their world. Fair enough. But I guess, so maybe it isn't the actual money in itself is flawed, but I kind of generally sort of think if, you've got, if you're going to have money, everybody should be given an equal amount of it. <laughs> and if you're not going to have money, then that's fine too. There's different but ways. Who you gives can, it? Well, it's problematic for somebody like myself that doesn't believe in the state, but also doesn't believe in corporations and doesn't believe in people's freedoms being infringed, but at the same time believes in an equal distribution of what is available to humans and what they need, of needs, not necessarily of wants. Because I think we, we, we have a real problem now that everyone thinks they, they have a right to, you know, widescreen flat TV and of the, a right to meat three times a day and I, 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 I don't have a widescreen TV but I do eat meat quite a lot and I know that that's not a right I have I know that it's not sustainable I know I should do something about the way I am in the way I engage with the apparatus of capital but having said that you know the basic needs that humans have food water somewhere to sleep connection with other human beings that stuff a situation where people can equally benefit from those different strands of need 
we shouldn't be in a situation where some people have all of those have access to all of those or control of all of those avenues and others don't have any access to or freedom to get those things so extreme poverty is obviously a problem but even non-extreme poverty isn't really very fair if you've got other people with masses and masses of wealth but that's a question of distribution that's a question of some people's work being valued differently from other people's work yeah or other some people benefit less from the economy and when we say being valued it implies that there's a valuer yeah and the valuer in our case is the free market as mentioned but that's only part of the story. Well, I think this is an interesting distinction. When I sort of come up against my problems with socialism, for example, one thing I realised when I was 15 in, in a socialist political party was that they were talking about the state being the valuer of worth, that they were talking about the state has the resources and decides how it distributes them amongst the people and my problem is the state is controlled by the workers so it's okay yeah but my problem is obviously it's not no no power system works that way that if you have people in charge of it it's not going to work that way and it's naive and also often the people who are saying we need to distribute it in this kind of way they have real extreme opinions about what's right and wrong morally speaking and you get the sense that they will censor in ways that did happen in Soviet Russia, that morality was censored as well as wealth redistributed. So I have a real problem with the idea of somebody deciding that art is valid or not valid. Chris has now got his shirt off. This is a enjoyable experience for me, but you won't get to see it, I'm afraid. Uh, not he's, that much better. He's getting, he's getting changed. Yeah. No, yeah, they might have wondered what all the zipping was about or whatever. Um, bad. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's not like you get it. It's a button fly. Yeah, yeah. I found out flies, doesn't ref flies refers to the actual material flapping open. Uh -huh. has nothing to do with zip or, or buttons. Well, it's a... It's that's a, where it comes from. The fly from, is the open. Yeah, is the open. And this is a fly with buttons. That's known as a button fly. Yeah. <laughs> so, your, 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 what's your... What's your take on capitalism? What, what would you what would you say is the problem, and what would you say is the palette we can choose our solutions from? Because I think it's very hard to come up with a single solution. I if there's have one. A, I have a project in mind for my life in the short and medium term, which is to draw the economy on big pieces of paper and um, work out how changing some things changes other things and how things fit together. Therefore, I should give a better answer once I've done that. That sounds an interesting but, project. Yeah, I'm quite looking forward to it. But basically, or as a, a part of the answer, the defining feature of capitalism is who owns things and who benefits from which economic activity. This is the, the question a basic question to ask, and my keys are still in the door. I trust my neighbours. <laughs> sort of. And in the case that we live, try to shut this door. Yeah, just put it to those who benefit.
people who have bought shares in companies in many cases. Now, once I've drawn it, I'll know more who the distribution of those shareholders is. But there are pension funds and some rich individuals and the companies themselves which buy a lot of their own shares in order to support their stock price or to give stock options to their employees, etc. And this connects between, between the people who do the work and the people who take the profit from the work is one of the oldest left criticisms of capitalism around, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, basically, the capital in capitalism comes from uh, putting up, uh, as, as I am understanding it right now, yeah. the capital from capitalism comes from who buys the, who puts up the, the wages and the cost of this way. <laughs> Who puts up the wages and pays for the machines and um, buys the licenses and the, and the site where the factory is built, etc. Who puts up all that, all that money? The capitalist, because they have the capital. Yeah. And the work is then done by, by machines and by labourers. And uh, don't worry, don't be so twitchy, it's just a car. I just, I'm always nervous when I'm walking on a road, Chris. Oh, if I'm on the pavement, then the bike goes up and down and up and down. It's really annoying. I have an irrational fear of cars, which is, in, in fact, entirely rational. But nobody agrees with it. Anyway, <laughs> go on. That capitalist has put up the capital that's made, arguably has made uh, possible this economic activity that employs all these other people and enables them to get wages and so on. Now, two two questions arise. One is the counterfactual is assumed to be that job wasn't created, that that uh, section of the market wasn't satisfied, that product wasn't didn't exist in the absence of the person who put up the money to make it happen. And therefore the person who put up that money has prima facie right to a substantial proportion of what is made out of it because without their contribution in the first place nothing would have been made at all. And some sort of market-esque mechanism is going to set how much they make out of that. If they try to obtain 100%, obviously that's not going to work. If they try and take 90%, they may be paying such low wages or producing such an inferior product that they go out of business, etc. Low wages seems to be something you can get away with in perpetuity. The second problem was... The first problem was the counterfactual of it not having been produced at all, thus... Uh, creating justification for the, the capitalists to take most of the benefit. I've completely forgotten what the second problem was. I don't know. Sorry, this is one of the problems of doing this walking along. And uh, I can always cut out the, you saying two quite two bits. That's fine, there, is, an, there is another bit, it might come back. You can leave that in. Okay. Don't cut. All right. No is, no buts. No, no that bit of the interview cuts. Okay. I mean... I don't know, the way I describe myself in my current way of thinking at the moment, as far as I can get, because people always want you to name what you are politically, and people get annoyed when you say, I don't have any belief, like in any of the major belief yeah. systems. Sure. And yet, when you say what your belief system is, they don't like that either. I, I sort of describe myself now as a pragmatic anarchist. Pragmanarchist? <laughs> pra yeah, pragmanarchist, maybe. I Maybe I don't think I'll start saying that. That already can use an annoying people. Fuck them. They're not interested in what you actually believe. They just want to put you somewhere. In so a box. They can, 
recently. Yeah, it's but an emotional thing. They'll put me in the student language box if I call myself a pragmaticist, won't they? Pragmanicist. Whatever. <laughs> um, Have you read Gardens of Light by Amin Malouf? No, I haven't. You're a pragmanicist. I should read more. Um, I should read more uh, uh, theory books and not non-fiction books. I should even read more fiction books these days. I don't read anything. But I'd, I'd just like to clarify that I mean, Marlouf is generally a writer of fiction, but sort of um, historical fiction and embellishments on oh, things that the, may exist. They're it's, the ones I like. It's a fantastic writer. And it's like Arundhati Roy's um, political writings. I like a lot. She's a fiction writer originally. I like her fiction. Hasn't she only written one novel? She's only written one novel, and then she's used that uh, that position to then criticise power in the maximum is possible. She, is she, a journalist? she is. She is. In her kind of she is now a. Activity. I would. I think she would call herself an activist. An activist. But there is. Prior to writing the God of Small Things, though. No, she. Yeah, she might have been before she was. Anyway, she, this is a digression. Um, but I'm anyway, say that you're a pragmaticist. Yeah, and the reason that I say that is, wow, it's nice. Happy Easter, everyone! <laughs> In uh, wherever this will be, March, April, May, June, July, whenever. Every day's Easter in your heart. But <laughs> the reason well, be the reason being that I'm obviously I, I believe in I'm, I believe in anarchy. Anarchist thinking Which about bit? Uh, Sorry, that you have to rip it up and start again. Okay. Right. That you have to have an aversion to power systems to get rid of them as much as possible to find new ways of connecting with each other. There's a kind of environmentalist and realistic strand as well that you can't can't consume everything and yeah. expect it to still be there. And there's a sort of kind of yeah equality strand of my thinking whereby you know he's a baby. <laughs> uh, whereby we must, in my opinion, try and make whatever systems because people have to have some kind of systems. People think that anarchy means that you're against, you know, that you're you're insane and that you think that everything should be chaos forever. That's not my reading of anarchy. Anyone's reading of anarchy? No, it's the Daily Mail's reading of a <laughs> reading of anarchy. Um, They're illiterate. But I mean, if we're going to build new systems after we've ripped the current models down, we need to build them from an equality basis, where women and uh, different races and all these stuff get to. Now, have you, an I, might be, I might be preempting something you were going to say, but this idea that we build new systems after we've ripped the present systems down. I find very it's violating the pragmatic bit of what you well that's where I was going right, yeah okay. so that's my basic ideal is that but I'm pragmatic in that I, I I look around me I think well that is step 100 we haven't even done step one and that we're, we're only going to live in the world for a certain amount of time you can't necessarily wait to get those 100 steps up they're probably never going to happen <laughs> anyway no, no. Defeatism. Bad. Well, it's not exactly defeatism. There are plenty of possible futures in which they don't happen. Okay. Is enough. All right. But regardless of that, I think you've got to make the best of what you've got with what you've got. So the reason I went on the UK Uncut March is and the uh, occupations that I've been on, which is not very many, I'm not yeah. that active an a activist, is because I think, well, 
if you're going to have capitalism, we should have the best form of capitalism. So we need to get people to stop avoiding paying tax and we need to not have our public services cut. This doesn't mean that I am in favour of the current structures that create the public services because I think there's a, an important distinction to make between the need for a social services to deal with the causes and uh, the effects of capitalist kind of inequality and the actual one we have which is pretty bloody flawed and a bureaucratic mess where lots of people are entitled who shouldn't be and people who and other people are disenfranchised quite kind of randomly that we do not have um, a perfect okay. public services Fine. doesn't mean that we shouldn't fight for the continuation well, of I public mean, services the, 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 the case with UK Uncut what's the, what, what's the argument there's three options, there's carry on as we are and as we are I mean uh, with this Tory logic of greed and destruction of things that benefit people who aren't rich and there's the option of stay thoroughly attached to a revolutionary, revolution-only attitude, a kind of total revolution-only attitude. Tear it down and rebuild it. Yeah. Obviously has its attractions, but and there's a there's a here to there step that I agree with you is mostly missing. And then there's a third option, which is to say, what's the third option? Well, I think the third option is what most of UK Uncut probably agree with. I UK wouldn't Uncut, say that's right. UK Uncut yeah. is not an anarchist um, organisation. No, UK Uncut is a, is, is, a, is a pragmatic kind of um, liberal socialist sort of... Uh, liberal probably more than is, socialist. The third option is to say that um, something happens within... So the, the second option was get rid of the current structure. Yeah. The third option is there is a structure and that's not just an economic structure, it's a legal structure, it's a kind of legal structure that theoretically and very poorly reflects people's moral take on what on the world, what's right and wrong, how the dividends of us being mutually engaged in an economy should be divided up, etc. And within that within that world we want to change what the deal is. Arguably we should we shouldn't be targeting the companies at all, we should be targeting the government who have recently been proposing the the formalisation of quite a lot of these tax avoidance schemes where things that previously cost quite a lot of money in accountants fees are now going to be free because they're going to be the law. I mean that's who that's who fundamentally bears responsibility well, for this UK Uncut all across through our government. Are and not, hopefully they are Yeah. They are also attacking government but, but and drawing government policy to, and drawing to attention to what's going on. Drawing attention to companies that are just making way more than their fair whack out of our mutual economic activity is a is a good start. Well, I think so there's also the third option that they're going. I think there's also an argument that that when you look at government and you look at companies, they're they're not a separatable entity anymore. They are, um, and they probably always have not been. That they are completely linked in terms of what is in the interest of business is in the interest of government and vice versa well, generally. Because who who makes up the government? Yeah. Who funds the political oh, parties? We're going to depart. We're going to part ways here. Okay, I got to go and pay. Is it that way to go? Oh pay? yeah, we got to go pay. Fine. Yeah. Sure. No, no I, I don't that. mind doing that. That's right. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, my my plug is to uh, is to take step one or step two towards either local decision making 
or just encouraging people to get involved in decision-making structures that are already there um, through their council consultations or whatever it might be. DIY, go for, go for it, do it yourself, it is quite rewarding. That's not to say it's the only way, and it certainly shouldn't be. So you're plugging localism? I, I'm, no, I'm plugging no. involvement. I'm not, involvement. not just localism. I don't, I don't buy this uh, hyper-localist view of things because at some point uh, people are going to want... There's going to have to be links between different all the different localities. I agree there are. Um, Dave's now going to go and pay. That's right. I'm going to think of my pithy last comment. OK. Hiya. I realised I left without paying earlier on, so it's a copy of... All sorted? Yeah. Very good. We've uh, done our bit as good capitalists to maintain the economy, or as good people good to people keep uh, small to businesses alive. Yeah. Exactly. Well, we didn't ask for free coffee. On what basis would we have asked for free coffee in the current system? No basis at all. A good point. Okay. So you were formalising and tea. And tea. <laughs> That's right. I oh, know. I was actually talking to the guy who runs the rhubarb store. So yes, get involved. It feels really nice when you do. And um, let's get involved in things that I disagree with as well, because you know it's better to be involved than not involved. Because talking about things puts them in the open, people can argue about them, and uh, and then you have conversations, which is the to bring it full circle back to the uh, back to the beginning of all of this. Hold on, you're going through there, I'm going this way. Okay. Um, cheers, Dave. Yeah, nice. Bye, everyone. Bye, bye. Chris came round to my house the other day and he had a time-specific plug to add to his conversation. The Anarchist Book Fair 2011 and it's being held on the 22nd of October from 10am to 7pm at Queen Mary University of London, Myland Road. You can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook it's getting better acquainted have a search on facebook and like it or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk you can also subscribe by searching on itunes and subscribing to us that way there are lots of ways to get better acquainted well that that implies i mean i don't find my problem is that i don't necessarily yeah yeah, go on that's something that sometimes has to be done with dave because he's very good at talking and those of us who are less good have to um, sometimes interrupt him when yeah, he interrupts us. Yeah, fair enough. Because well, didn't realise because we sounded like we finished our sentence. Yeah, that time, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been all right on this show generally, but yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Um. There's a few bits like that, Chris. I think I'm going to edit out anyway. Um. <laughs> you can leave that people an honest impression of what they're missing. <laughs> Watch out your trailing like, Trailing wires. It's going to be interesting how the segue from the previous bit to that bit. So there's a whole missing section, but it was taken up by that because it was the lighter. I like that. You have to play a little bit of music. Um, You'll see what I do. Um, not that good. People are perfectly capable of remembering.